Through Beyond Rails podcast, I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach sitting here in Sydney, Australia. Just had a great little event last night with the Ruby on Rails Australia user group. Heard a few speeches on camping, little known features of active support, and also different perspectives on using and generating CSS. At any rate, another report today from correspondent Robert Stevenson with Joe O'Brien of Edge Case. Enjoy. Uh, this is Joe O'Brien. Came to Ruby uh, like a lot of people was um, fleeing the Perl language and looking for something much nicer. A friend of mine kept bugging me to check it out, and I finally did. That was about um, almost two years ago now. I just fell in love instantly and have been using it, and and or trying to push my company to use it ever since. Chad Humphreys. I came to uh, Ruby probably about the same time ago for actually an entirely different purpose for. Windows Network Administration. I've been using, uh, unfortunately, things like C-Script and the variety of things they make you use on Windows and started using Ruby as a solution for that, and which eventually grew into Rails and everything else we do today. Uh, Ken Barker. I started using Ruby about three or four years ago in uh, stealth mode at, at my job, just uh, in kind of scripting and small utility applications just to get things done, and then uh, started using Track to manage some software projects and stumbled into Rails uh, from the Track users list. The rest has all just been uh, a wild ride. This is Aaron Bedra. Uh, I came into Ruby about the same time Joe and Chad did a couple of years ago. Um, and like Joe, came into Ruby as an escape from Perl. Really just looking for a better way to get things done and uh, kind of followed the Ruby community for a little while and then eventually evolved into the Rails community as well. Cool. What uh, what made you decide to start this company together instead of just being, you know, independent contractors that um, would just help each other out? <clears throat> Coming out of RailsConf this year, Joe and I kind of independently thought about uh, doing something different, and I just looked at myself and realized that I couldn't really do the solo thing without the support of other people. The timing was just great for Joe and I to meet up and, and kind of get the ball rolling. My reasons for leaving my organization were a little different at uh, solely went around the fact that I wanted to spend more time with my family. If there's one thing that the organization taught me, which was what it was like to work with really smart people, and uh, you, Rob, actually, and I started the Columbus Ruby Brigade uh, about a year and a half ago and got to know some really cool people through there. Ken was definitely one of them, and he and I talked after RailsCon, and we're having about the same feelings about going out there and doing this for a living. I've known the collaborations always been a lot better for me. I thought, why not? And eventually we got Aaron on board and Chad and... It's been great ever since. So we're we're sitting in the in, in your office right now, and do you find you guys uh, do you, do you work differently since you're mostly physically located in the same space? Obviously, we're all around the table uh, rather than just working remotely, connected through you know IM, email, campfire, etc. It's faster. It's always faster to work in, to work with another person beside you. I mean, there's nothing more direct than just pointing your screen at someone and saying, can you help me out with this? Can we pair on this? Can we look at this together? It's that it's always faster and always, and for me, a better experience to be in the room with someone than to be remote with someone. Completely agree. Uh, the pair programming is definitely a really, really good way to get things done. Although we do communicate via Skype and IM uh, during the day throughout uh, uh, kind of the rest of our group of networking, we do pair program all day long and it really helps. 
I think the big the big thing for me is just we're on edge and we uh, use our spec to the hilt or whatever you know however you want to say that and the uh, the amount of learning that that we need to spread amongst the four of us is uh, is pretty intense and really the only way for us to, to keep that up is by pairing. I've always had a lot of success in pairing um, and coming into this company it was just something that I wanted to bring in but it's it's been kind of fun to watch us discover how well it works together for us. I mean, you always have the pain points when you first start. There's probably a first day or two where you're learning how to work together, but our velocity has just been phenomenal ever since we go. And the nice thing about pairing is not just the straight-out velocity, but the sustained velocity. I mean, it's, it's consistent over time. It's been great, and it helps you stay motivated and excited about why you're doing this. So how did you decide who does more of the, you know, when you have a company, you need sales, marketing, Someone needs to do HR, send out the emails about the dress code. How did you decide who, which roles people would take? Just say no to HR. <laughs> Step one. <laughs> All right, we'll strike that one. <laughs> I think we kind of just got to feel each other out for what what we have some experience in, what we don't have some experience in. I've had my own business before, so I've kind of taken over some of the, the more financial aspects and administrative details. All of us are hitting the streets trying to find work and doing marketing and kind of teaming up together to get those kind of things done. It's definitely motivating in different ways when it's your own company. I mean, we're all, we've are all we all been doing the sales and marketing effort. Um, I think Ken's been doing a lot more of the accounting simply because it's a, you know it's installed on his laptop. Um, so other than that role, I don't know we've uh, figured anything else out. As far as address code, emails, you know, Ken's the biggest jerk, so we figured it kidding yeah I mean, it's it's nice being a small company because you really you don't have a lot of the overhead that you would think is there uh, a couple hours a week pretty much takes care of everything so you know i know all you guys fairly well personally um and i'm pretty sure you guys fall into the classic programmer label and not so much into the designer artist bucket uh, <laughs> you know please correct me if i'm wrong but if so you know how where does a programmer you know team up with a designer or an artist to help out on Websites and is it possible to, you know, learn enough design to kind of reach that magical eighty percent level? Well, I think that uh, you know that that eighty percent level is pretty attainable when you get um, you know some, some good people behind you. Uh, when you get uh, when you've worked with a couple of designers for a little while, you start to take on some of the qualities and, and understand what they're doing. So you know, to get to that to that point isn't isn't that bad. Uh, however, the uh, the ninety to one hundred percent category is always requires that uh, that magic touch that us programmers usually don't don't really have. One of the big things I see is it's it's a different mindset. Um, it's really hard for me personally to step back from the programming tasks I have and kind of get in that design mode where I can you know evaluate what different designs might look like. So we're definitely able to get the back end going very quickly and, and very well. We use outside resources to get professional design done. And how did you find those? I mean, did you put out a one ad or you just... Basically through, uh, through our connections at, at the Columbus Ruby Brigade. Yeah, I think an important thing to remember too is that there's two, there's two aspects that you have to learn as a classic programmer coming into this. One is the artistic and the design, which is probably not something we can learn and definitely the thing that we have to keep going out for. But the thing that we can learn that we've spent a lot of time on is usability. There's an aspect to making sure that the software you're putting out is usable and is, is making a difference. You know, as programmers, we have to get away from a certain mindset when it comes to that. You know, we've been doing things a certain way for a long time just because it's industry standard and whatnot. And it all goes back into feedback, into getting to know our clients really well, talking to them. 
one of our clients in particular that Ken's done a fantastic job with speaking to them and making sure, you know, we're very lucky in the fact that we have somebody that's not very technically savvy, so it really gets to help us learn how to do these things. You know, the artistic bit that we just can't overcome is definitely something we go outside for and uh, grab help there. I would, I would definitely agree. I mean, I know I spend countless hours on weekends like, okay, Photoshop, you know, you and me are going to have a talk. You're an IDE, <laughs> but you're for design. Like, you know, like Control-Shift, make pretty. Where's the, where's the command at? I, I, I spent last night, midnight to like 3 a.m., in Photoshop with a friend at a friend's house trying to go through things like that. And it, it is a classic problem, but luckily just having other people around who realize it's a problem too, the idea that you don't want to squirrel away and waste 10 hours on doing design because there are people, you know, designers, artists we have through the CRV, through other connections who can take the idea we have and get all of the programmer muddiness out of it and get it on the, get it on the paper very quickly. What other resources did you tap in order to get more information on setting up a business or you know becoming entrepreneurs? Now, Ken, you said you had started a business before. For people that are starting up, people coming from a nine to five, it's it's a whole new world. Well, I think you know just the that's a really good question because it implies that that you should go get advice, and that's really the the first step. And Joe and I both had the same idea first off, which was go go set up a meeting with Jason Long, who's been doing full-time rails out of his uh, home office here in Columbus for maybe almost two years now, a year and a half for sure. And so we sat down with him, picked his brain. Um, I've got a couple other friends in central Ohio who have consulting companies who are, you know, entrepreneurs. And I just, you know, took them out, got lunch and asked them to give me whatever advice they could give me and and things like that. Bottom line is, uh, you know, it's a a risk, but it's exciting. So, yeah, it's also a matter of, you know, taking an inventory of what skills you do have. I mean, Ken's definitely um, had a business on his own, which was awesome. Um, It really helped us tap into, you know, what kinds of things we needed. I know I had a sales career before I came into IT, and so that's helped me in a lot of ways. But as Ken said, you know, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to tap networks. Um, I've got, you know, some friends of mine in Dayton who gave me some great advice when we first started. And But the other thing is, you know, to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, everybody's got advice, but it's ultimately what you're doing and what you want to do. And a lot of it, there's a lot of common sense involved as well. So, I would agree with that. I mean, there's also, it's one of those decisions you're never, to me, I view it like it's one of those things you're, you can never be fully prepared for. You can have the best set of information, the best advisors, the best feel for your risk and your benefit but at a point you just have to take the next step and that that was the hardest part I mean again I've had a consulting business or two for you know hardware integration things like that in the past and that was always the hardest part actually once you know everything you're able to know about it taking that next step and actually starting it in the Java world at least here in Columbus almost all client consultant engagements uh, take place at clients' locations. Is it easier to convince clients that you'd work just as effectively, you know, if not more so, off-site as far as uh, Rails work goes? You know, what steps do you recommend on how to keep clients happy with communication? Uh, really, I think one of the the, the keys um, and, and the vital points to being able to work remotely with clients is the transparency and the relationship between the client. Um, you know, to be able to put out a nightly build. Uh, or, or a semi-weekly build to the client to let them see this is what I've worked on in the past two days. 
and let them actually see things come alive and grow as the software development lifecycle goes through its, its stages. Working remotely, which we do have a couple of clients remote at the moment, um, you know, on both sides of the country, keeping them happy has been just a matter of constant feedback and, uh, and really a, a really open relationship. The other thing that's really interesting is the idea that it's, an assum- it's assumed that um, you have to work on site. I mean, I think we've set up business models recently because there was there were some very high profile failures a few years back that a lot of companies are kind of skittish about trying to work remote. But the truth be told, a lot of our clients, you know, that we have don't have the resources to let us work on site or are not even close enough. You know, we've got clients from California to New York. But like Aaron said, as long as you're transparent, I mean, you're not hiding away in a corner and then going to display some great thing. I mean, talk to them constantly. You know, they've got our cell phone numbers. They've got our instant message IDs. You know, we, we're always communicating. We're always letting them know where we are. There's never a surprise. If anything slips, they know exactly why it did, and they know ahead of time. One of the great aspects of Ruby and Rails are its user communities. It just always seems that everyone's willing to, you know, help each other out. However, you know, I know several of you have families to feed, and of course everyone else, you know, has to eat as well. Do you find yourself more guarded because of that fact as far as having, you know, competition for clients and for work? Or do you feel there's just more than enough Ruby and Rails work out there to not really have to worry about it? Well, one of our main goals as a company is to develop some in-house products. We're not at a point yet to have embarked on that yet, but the whole reason that we're sitting here at this table is because the community has been open. You know, the Ruby language is is accessible. Rails is accessible. Uh, people in the community, whether it's the Ruby community, the Rails community, are, are always very helpful, and uh, we intend to contribute back. There's plenty and plenty of potential clients out there. For several of our projects right now, we're in conversation with extensions. You know, we're quickly going to be tapped out. I know a lot of con- consultants are in that in that mode as well. There's really nothing uh, nothing secret about what we do. We just uh, plan on using the the awesome tools that we have to accomplish you know real solutions for our clients quicker. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, Ruby and Rails are are both large parts of open source, and uh, you know, all four of us have been active in the open source community for a number of years now, and. Like any other, like any other open source project, you have to uh, to embrace the nature of the open source and really and really extend it. And it doesn't get better unless you contribute back. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the if it wasn't for the community. I mean, we started off in the Ruby community when we started the Columbus Ruby Brigade, and uh, I know I've been active in uh, the community as a whole, and it's been it's been fantastic. I mean, the openness, and then once Rails got out and really got on its feet, the Rails community has become the same way and adopted a lot of the same characteristics that the Ruby community had. And it's been fantastic. I mean, I've had, just within the last month, had great conversations with guys like Nathaniel Talbot and um, Robbie Russell, who are each running um, very similar organizations um, doing development work. And we've all talked, we've all shared, we, we continue to do that. There's so much demand out there, and it's not, you know, it's not just about Ruby on Rails, it's about solving problems. And solving problems when the client doesn't have to hear about your struggles with the database and the application server or things like that. It's just, you know, you can actually talk about the business logic. You've got time to talk about the design issues. And that's what's great. We get to have clients who come to us with an idea and, you know, maybe some seed funding, and we get to implement those. And that's the exciting part. To, uh, to help those out there who would love to code in Ruby and Rails for, for living for money, but are stuck in their, what I like to call their widget maker jobs, their nine to fives. Um, what advice can you give as far as, you know, what it's like to, to jump and create a company uh, around Ruby and, and Rails? 
I think we did just that, actually. I think we just jumped. We all just, we all found uh, that we could work together and that we had enough collective talent that we said, you know, why don't we give this a shot? And that was really what it was. You know, we, we sat down, we had some dinner, we had talked about it and said, all right, let's 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 jump. Let's see what we can do. And, uh, you know, thankfully the parachute opened and we've been kind of <laughs> cruising along ever since. It's interesting because it's, it lends itself back to a couple things that have happened in my life. One is getting married and one is having children. Where you're never truly gonna, you're never truly going to be as ready as you want to be for it, and this has kind of been the same way. I mean, we had to take a risk. It, there are better times than and worse times, but all in all, I mean, we it's never going to be the perfect time. So we just did it, and we want to do it. And it's exciting. It's scary. It's wonderful. It's you know terrifying. It's all those things combined. Um, but it you know you just have to do it. I mean, <clears throat> be prepared to have to learn very quickly, have to learn very quickly on your feet. We've been, we've all been studying uh, an ungodly amount of hours after work in our um, former jobs, learning new things and keeping up with new things and learning how to learn. I mean, that's one of the tricks of the trade is figuring out how to digest all the information because once you go out and do this on your own, there's a wealth of information and decisions that are no longer made for you. You have to make them yourself and you want to make sure they're informed and you're making the best possible decisions you could be. One of the questions that seems to constantly come up everywhere, I know we had a thread in the Columbus Ruby Brigade a little while ago, and it seems to always come up just in the Rails community in general, is about hosting. What kind of Rails hosting do you guys use for Edge Case, and what kind of Rails hosting do you recommend for your clients? VPS solutions, basically. That would be the short answer. There, I mean, there are particular vendors. I mean, we use Power VPS quite a lot and Rails Machine. But just the the VPS solution, it's so affordable for businesses and for, I mean, people these days to be able to have your your entire server isolated in that way where it's easily easily able to be backed up, restored, rebooted, anything you need done to it, and you don't have the shared hosting problems where one guy's renegade, you know, PHP or WordPress installation takes down the entire server or things like that that, you know, typically happen on a lot of the shared hosting platforms. Yeah, we've had um, any of the problems we've had have all come from shared hosting. I mean, when it comes to the VPS solutions, we've honestly Power VPS was one of the first places we used, and they've just been great. So we don't really have much of a reason to leave them. So we can't really say anything bad about anybody as far as that's concerned. Um, service has been great with the solutions we found. Rails Machine was an amazing setup the first time we tried it. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to be in business to do this, you got to take it seriously, and that means spending a little bit extra and going with a serious solution. Is that because, you know, someone who doesn't know really the difference between shared hosting and VPS, what extra setup or knowledge do you think is required for VPS? Because it seems like the shared hosts try to give you web interfaces for administration and, and, and seem to ease you into that a lot better, where VPS is just kind of a, you know, a sink or swim. Well, I can actually say that there's a little bit more background knowledge to, to administer a system that comes along with the VPS. However, um, you know they both provide do provide graphical tools, provide you with a lot of extra things. You know, the Power VPS solution we use does have a full graphic administration panel, and, and although you do have to build some things yourself and and, and kind of have an underlying uh, knowledge of Linux to begin with, there are other solutions like Rails Machine that you literally install their their gem, and and in five minutes you have an application that works. So they deploy the the, uh, the, the rail stack under, underpinnings for you. So there's there's solutions like that that you can go with that you don't have to be a Linux server guru to to really understand. But it does give you the full power of being able to have a root privilege on a box, 
do things like install gems that uh, you may not be able to get working right with shared hosting or freezing, and uh, really kind of makes it a much better uh, deployment solution. Also, I have to say that um, one of the things we're extremely lucky in having is Aaron on staff because, you know, when we came into the, the VPS solution, we had to start worrying about a lot of things that we didn't have to before, like security beyond just our application, um, security in the actual as an actual server, and having a security expert on staff really helps in that. You know, one of the things to make sure you do if you do go with a VPS solution is look into that and get serious about it, you know, because it's not just a matter of guarding against SQL injection at that point. What advice would you give for the listeners that are thinking about becoming uh, an independent consultant or, you know, even a, an entrepreneur setting up a new company that you guys have uh, have learned from your your experience? That's a pretty broad question, um, not knowing, you know, who the specific person would be in their circumstances. Like Chad had mentioned earlier, it's, it comes right down to getting to a point where you decide whether or not you're going to make the decision to go for it. There's lots of resources available, whether it's in this community or just small business resources, people who've you know been out there. The, the network, the people that we know are really the people that are helping us out. I feel uh, particularly privileged because these three guys here, they bring so much to the table that I don't have on my own. I don't know that I have advice on, on going solo necessarily, but the, the amount of work that's available out there, um, you know, I could say for just a typical and say Java web developer, you know, start putting some feelers out there. Decide if this is something you're going to do. See if you can land a project, and then see if it'll fit into your schedule and uh, your life circumstances. I know for myself, with uh, with my family, I couldn't really do justice to a sideline job if it was in addition to, you know, my regular 40, 50 hour a week. So I've been really excited about what we're doing because it's full time. It's it's the only thing I'm focused on from a career standpoint. So, Yeah, and Ken brought up a good point, the fact that, you know, we're not doing this as independent consultants, so I'm not sure how much advice we could give in that realm. I mean, I personally don't know that I could go out independent because I thrive on interaction with people, whether it's with clients, but also with the people I'm working with directly. So I, um, you know, to us it was, it, to me it wasn't a question of going solo, but, you know, forming another company that I could partner with some really smart people with and um, bring in, help them balance where I might be lacking. But I know for anything you do, I mean, just make sure you're connected, get into the community, attend the conferences, go to your, go to your local Ruby brigade. If it's not there, start one. It's really simple. We chased down a couple people on 43 things and got a mailing list together, put our name on the wiki and that was about it. I mean, it, it starts up from there. We're now up to 30 or 40 people regularly. Being there constantly, being out there, talking to people, networking, those are the things you have to do. Um, if you're going to try to go independent or be an entrepreneur, one thing to keep in mind is that if you're much of an introvert, it's it's going to be a little bit harder. You know, We're also not saying that you can't be happy in your company. We know a lot of people that are doing some great things and a lot of people that are working in Ruby and Rails and whatnot that are part of another organization. So it doesn't mean that you can't be happy in a company. It's just, you know, this worked out best for us. Edgecase has been in existence for three months, four months since RailsConf, and you guys have definitely jumped in feet first because you just announced uh, eRubyCon, which is the Enterprise Ruby Conference that's being held here in Columbus, Ohio in February of 07. Uh, can you tell us about it? eRubyCon, eRubyCon.com for the uh, advertising shtick there. 
is actually an idea that came before um, about the same time that Edge Case came around, but something I've been noticing for a while, which is the Ruby community has a lot to offer the big E, the enterprise world. Um, Ruby and Rail, the Ruby on Rails community seems to seems to kind of avoid it, seems to want to get away from it. But you've got a lot of smaller organizations doing smaller things. There's a realization there that there are large companies out there that have issues that are not necessarily related to choices they've made, just a um, more of a history maybe um, that's out there. So what we wanted to do is provide a forum for those people that have real problems but want to take advantage of some of the things that Ruby offers, some of the things that uh, the Rails community offers. Give them a sounding board. Give them a place to talk about these things. The idea of eRubyCon was born. I'm very fortunate to be connected with and have some very good friends who are just exceptional speakers and talked to them and came up with this idea, and they're, they're all for it. So we've got guys like Bruce Tate, um, Stuart Halloway, and Justin Gatlin from Relevance. We've got guys like Neil Ford from ThoughtWorks, application architect there, who have been very successful using Ruby, using Ruby on Rails in large enterprise organizations and to talk about the issues they're facing, the things they're dealing with. When I've spoken at the conferences recently, my, um, one of my areas I've been talking about is um, Rails integration with larger applications. And this is a subject that has really been something people want to talk about. So we're giving them that chance, uh, letting them come to Ohio in February when, you know, nothing much else is going on. Let's talk about it. Let's get the things out on the table. Dave Thomas gave an excellent keynote at RailsConf where he talked about a lot of these things that would help enterprise at the enterprise um, community if we got into um, things like Rails or if we made room for um, things like these types of plugins. But we need a community around what are those things we need. We don't want to just be guessing and going after them. Awesome. Now, you, you have a call-out for speakers. Uh, when is the deadline? Do you have a deadline actually, set for that? Actually, we have the speakers we're looking for. We've actually got a full plate of those right now. Registration is going to start November 15th, and then um, next year we'll definitely put out a call for speakers beforehand and let that go out. But um, right now we've got um, just some excellent um, excellent speakers lined up you know, from various facets of the community. Um, and we'll have a full list. There's a partial list on our website right now. The full list will be coming up very soon. So final question for you guys. Coming in here, it kind of seems like 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 Hall of Justice with the super friends. You're all, when I came in here, you're all gathered around helping each other out. What what tools, special tools, gems, plugins, anything that, that you guys have kind of shared and agreed that that's a must-have that you could share with, with everyone else? Well, if, if you mention gems or plugins, everyone looks at me um, because I, I like gems and plugins a lot. Um, I, I uh, RSpec, RSpec for one. I, I pimp RSpec everywhere I go, trying to uh, make sure everyone uses RSpec or at least looks at it briefly so that they understand there's a way that, for me, doesn't make writing tests boring. Things like uh, Wrapped for plugin management, SVN Tools is an excellent one for if you want a nice automatic way to do certain things since subversion. Um, even simpler things like just agreeing on TextMate bundles or having certain things like that or whatever ID you use. We use a lot of uh, fairly standard gems, more on the Ruby side of things. But for Rails, I think our plugins are pretty straightforward nowadays. Things like Access Attachment, things like SVN Tools, things like um, Actors Authenticated. Think a lot of like TechnoWingy just has a smorgasbord of things that <laughs> you, you have trouble not wanting to include in applications if you're like me, which is why I have three other people here to... You know, hit me with the don't install the plugin stick whenever I get a little, you know, overzealous about things like that. But yes, I would, nothing else. R spec, go for R spec. 
And that helps bring up an interesting point, which is one of the reasons, one of the things that Educase specializes in. You know, our name comes from various sundry areas, one of it, which is there's a lot of technologies out there, a lot of technologies that would help companies do a lot, a lot of things better, but not all of them are fully baked, so to speak. None of them are fully ready. One of the things we specialize in is um, evaluating these technologies, seeing how they are, and then giving an honest opinion on them. We're not going to tell you to use some of the latest and greatest because it might not be ready for production use. You know, there's some people were asking us this at RailsConf, and at the time our spec was great and it was serving us well, but we were still having some issues with it that didn't seem that it was production ready. While we were there, production release came out that was fantastic and really set it over that edge and got it to the finish line of where it would be very usable for other places. So we're constantly evaluating, constantly looking at what's going on. Chad's brain is um, geared to find plugins. I think the second they come out, he's got a nose for them at this point. So we do give him a hard time, but honestly, we wouldn't be where we were if it wasn't for that. So, so we, we mainly specialize in two things. One of which is evaluating technologies, getting the things, and um, making recommendations, realistic recommendations for your organization, but also in the fact that we offer a holistic testing approach that you know you can be assured that everything is going to be tested in your application, not just your core functionality, but also the edge cases that are out there. All right, folks. That's, uh, I'd like to thank uh, our, our guests for today, Joe, Chad, Ken, and Aaron from EdgeCase. The website is theedgecase.com. Thanks again for all your time. Check out erubicon.com. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Chunky Baker, Chunky Baker, Chunky Baker.